Hello and welcome to The Zip Files, a weekly technology news catch-up show. It's our 20th episode, and to celebrate, I'm going to keep things on the straight and narrow and tell you all about the 10 hottest bits of tech news that news their way into the last week, just like usual. Stay plugged in for such scoops as Japan losing their only unicorn, digital crypto cats lacking love and attention, an artificial intelligence that can spot cardiac arrest, and much, much more. In the centre of the tech bonanza, we've got a long listen on universal basic income, what it is, where the concept came from, and whether it's a good idea. Of course, we don't take life too seriously here on the Zip Files, so I've got my friend Alex on again this week. Remember her? Hi, my name is Alex. I think I quite like to be a toad or a frog. <laughs> all right, um, what a time to be alive. Let's get all caught up with the world of tech. Google has built a new algorithm that can sift through patients' health records to evaluate their medical history. In this case, Google is using a neural network to process and analyse documents pertaining to the person's health to help doctors make a more accurate diagnosis. According to Bloomberg, the tech can, quote, forecast a host of patient outcomes, including how long people may stay in hospitals, their odds of readmission, and chances they will soon die. In other techie health news, a Danish company has created an AI that will listen in on emergency calls and quickly diagnose cardiac arrest. The algorithm uses machine learning to analyse the words a caller is using to describe the emergency, their tone and background noises. A study at the University of Copenhagen found that the software identified cardiac arrest correctly in 93% of cases, versus human dispatchers who identified it in only 73% of calls. This tech will save lives. So we're back talking about CryptoKitties, the notorious blockchain game based on the Ethereum network that allows users to buy, sell and breed digital cats. Back in December, one of these virtual felines was sold for somewhere in the region of $155,000. It all seemed a bit ridiculous and faddish to me, but then some serious investors got involved. In March, CryptoKitties raised $12 million in a round that named world-renowned VC firm Anderson Horowitz. At this point, I sternly put down my iced Americano and thought, wow, there is something in this CryptoKitties business. Or perhaps not, as it now turns out, that the game has seen a sharp downward trend in recent months. According to data from blockchain analytics sites Bloxy and DR, the transaction volume on the cap marketplace has taken a sharp nosedive down by 98.4% in June compared to its peak in December last year. Ouch. The average price of a digital cat companion has also plummeted, estimated by DR at circa $5, down from $41 at its all-time high, whilst daily active users are estimated at just one-third of December's highs. Let's hope CryptoKitties has nine lives. What do you believe in? (laughs) (laughs) i believe that cats are really evil really Um, and that dogs will always be oh my god seriously (laughs) 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 yes amazing amazing you believe in 
you believe cats, <laughs> cats are evil. Uh, and, dogs, evil. and dogs are what? Dogs are good. <laughs> yeah, super good. Super good. Okay. I'm so red. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's the sun, it's, it's just sun straight. It's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> On Monday, IBM's AI-powered debating machine took to the stage to argue with two world-class debaters. To build its arguments, the software skims through millions of articles and academic journals covering the topic. It should be noted that the machine is only as accurate as its inputs. If a Daily Mail article has snuck into its data stack claiming that eating cabbage gives you cancer, then Project Debater, as the AI is lovingly named, will take this as gospel truth. The AI was remarkably good at constructing thoughtful arguments stuffed to the brim with supporting facts and quotations and even threw in some self-deprecating jokes about being artificial. Artificial? Artificial for good measure. Project Debater did have a tendency to wander off into some pretty dodgy territory though. For example, when it argued that space exploration was more important than improving healthcare. Anyway, impressive stuff. So ZTE, the Chinese telecom giant, is a bit screwed again. A couple of weeks back, Trump announced the US would lift a ban that stopped American companies from selling parts to ZTE. These parts are essential to the Chinese company's continued operations and would take years of research and development for it to manufacture on its own. Now, just weeks after celebrating its escape from near death, ZTE has been thrown back into the lion's pit. The Senate voted on Monday to reinstate the ZTE ban. To stay alive, the company may look to acquire a foreign one that makes the parts it so desperately needs. Facebook is turning its laser gaze on the popular live game show app HQ Trivia. On Tuesday, Zuckerberg's social network announced that they will be launching new features to allow pages on the site to create live quizzes and contests to be streamed on Facebook Live. In the same vein as HQ Trivia, contestants will have a short time to answer, will be eliminated if they do so incorrectly, and will be able to win cash prizes. In the beginning, only a few partners will be able to take advantage of the new quiz hosting ability, but the official launch is expected later this year and will open up contest creating to any Facebook page. Welcome to this week's Long Listen. Mr. Edward Ferniehow, the Zipfiles' resident historian extraordinaire, has a veritable feast on universal basic income. Let's get into it. Philosophers from various cultural contexts, arguing from diverse political positions throughout history, have debated whether or not the state has an obligation, moral or otherwise, to protect and preserve the lives of its citizens. Universal basic income is one idea that has frequently been invoked, as a potential solution to poverty and the deprivations of health and opportunity caused by this economic vulnerability. An infant form of the idea was suggested by Thomas More in his 1516 book Utopia, then further developed by the ideological forerunners to and active participants in the French Revolution, by the 19th century socialist revolutionaries and by liberal socialist and conservative thinkers right up until today. 
Most recently, a universal basic income has been suggested as a way to combat the deficits in income that employees are believed likely to suffer from their replacement by increasing automation in industries and services. A 2013 study published by the University of Oxford predicted that 47% of US employees are at imminent risk of redundancy. First, though, some quick history. The idea of basic income has long, windy origins. In Moore's 1516 book Utopia, he proposed a basic income as a way to reduce theft by reducing the need of those in poverty to steal to survive. Ten years later, Johannes Vives argued that local governments should be responsible for the provision of minimum subsistence to people living under their administration. In 1748, Montesquieu asserted that, quote, the state owes all its citizens a secure subsistence, food, suitable clothing, a way of life that does not damage their health, end quote. Following the French Revolution in the early 19th century, businessman and socialist Robert Owen stated that, quote, society may be formed so as to exist without crime, without poverty, with health greatly improved. No obstacles exist at this moment except ignorance to prevent such a state of society from becoming universal, end quote. The absolute eradication of poverty and crime may seem a touch idealistic, though his sentiments, as well as those pronounced by Montesquieu, were echoed by Bertrand Russell's 1918 statement, that a certain small income, sufficient for necessaries, should be secured to all, whether they work or not. William Beveridge later published his eponymous report in 1942, this report has influenced much of the social legislation passed in the UK over the last 75 years, and Beveridge himself is perhaps most famous for helping to found the NHS in 1948. A collective obligation to minimise human suffering caused by poverty was finally codified by member states of the United Nations in the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The most relevant principle of this declaration that has influenced the emergence of systems of social welfare since the 1940s among some United Nations member states is Article 25I, which asserts that, quote, everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, housing and medical care, end quote. In practice, some participating states do offer rudimentary means of welfare for citizens that live under their administration who are unable to provide sufficiently for themselves. Whether these systems are funded and organised in the most effective ways, however, are issues ferociously debated. Recently, many people have expressed their belief that a new basic fund ought to be paid out by states. Tesla and SpaceX's Elon Musk, Virgin's Richard Branson and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg have argued for the necessity of universal basic income on the basis that jobs previously worked by people are being and will continue to be replaced by automated processes, therefore causing a substantial rise in unemployment. Without a regular source of income, people can quickly slide into states of poverty. According to a McKinsey report, almost half of the world's jobs could be automated by innovations of existing robotics, machine learning and AI technology. Industries likely to be affected include construction, farming and transportation. Whilst critics have argued that the provision of a UBI would disincentivize work and therefore growth, its advocates have argued that the fund could catalyse creativity and innovation amongst both the employed and unemployed. Thus, arguments in favour of UBI, 
stress benefits including poverty relief and the enablement of entrepreneurship and research among people otherwise too poor to invest capital in their ideas or to take financial risks. Additionally, it has been argued that a UBI will free up time for people to create and innovate among those previously unable to undertake new projects due to the shackles of working jobs for the sole purpose of obtaining enough to subsist. Some of the idea's proponents have also raised the possibility that a UBI could reduce the cost and complexity of bureaucratic processes currently responsible for the distribution of welfare resources. In theory, a UBI seems a reasonable buffer against poverty. In practice, however, its implementation raises problems that must be overcome. Objections to the idea from ideological opponents to welfare must also be surmounted, such criticism usually running along the lines of lazy bones cannot free ride on the contributions of others. Demonstrating that a UBI can benefit society in practice is surely the best way to silence these critics. But can it? Other points of contention include precisely how it would be funded, whether it would supplement current systems of social welfare or whether it would replace them, and whether UBI would truly be universal, full UBI, or whether it would have to be distributed on the basis of means test qualifications such as income thresholds and employment and citizenship status. Partial UBI. New problems spring up from the resolutions given to these conundrums. For instance, if it is decided that UBI is to supplement some systems of social relief already in place, rather than replace them completely, extra money must be raised. Advocates suggest solutions such as restructuring progressive income tax rates, raising money from more punitive taxes of negative externalities, e.g. through carbon and sugar taxes, and the reallocation of budgets, e.g. to decrease military spending. Even those keen for the introduction of some form of basic income are divided about its precise technicalities. Where will the funds come from? Who should receive it? Should it replace or should it supplement current forms of social security? Pilots run by governments, including the Finnish and Namibian, have been rolled out in different forms with varying degrees of success. In 2016, the Finnish government picked 2,000 unemployed participants at random to receive a basic income of approximately €560 Euro a month. The experiment finishes at the end of 2018, at which point the results will be processed and conclusions reached. However, objections have already been made to the limited scope of this experiment. Critics have commented that the provision of the fund to just a small group of the unemployed country's population is not a true UBI. Objectors further state that the Finnish micro-simulation cannot replicate the impact a basic income would have if integrated within a full, complex economic system. In 2008, church groups, NGOs and labour unions provided the residents of crime and poverty-stricken Namibian village, Otivero Omitara, with a basic monthly income. Since implementation, the rate of malnourishment is reported to have decreased from 42% to 10%, and the poverty rate from 86% to 68%. Crime is reported to have been reduced by 36.5%. Income beyond UBI is reported to have increased by 29%. It all sounds pretty good. The imminent threat of surging unemployment rates caused by the proliferating presence of automation in economies has forced governments to seriously consider overhauling current systems of social welfare. Whether UBI will see widespread international implementation beyond these pilots would depend principally on whether new data indicates that a flat sum is a more effective method of catalyzing productivity and alleviating poverty than systems of social security in place at present.
is the okay. worst purchase you've ever made? Um, worst purchase. Okay, worst purchase is actually so going back to boat trips. Yes. In Greece, bought tickets to a boat trip that was supposed to go around all the Greek islands. So I was really excited, thought it'd be really nice. Yeah. So you had to go in and like, there was a guy dressed in fake toga or something. Um, and then you had to, <laughs> seemingly, I was on the boat for 10 minutes before I left. I didn't go on the boat trip, but you just had to keep clapping. Like, I think we clapped about 10 times in the first 10 minutes and everyone on the boat was super excited. I'm not sure what at, but was just like <laughs> very bizarre, like clapping all the time. And so I left the boat trip embarrassed and not wanting to go on it anymore. Alexandra, you found yourself in a cult, I believe. That sounds very much like a cult. <laughs> a Greek island cult trip, yeah. On Wednesday, Instagram unveiled a new standalone app called IGTV that will allow grammars to post long-form video. The current limit on Instagram is 60 seconds for video content, but on IGTV it'll be 60 minutes for those with a large following and 10 minutes for the rest of us mere mortals. Don't worry though, we'll be able to post 60-minute epics in future, as Insta said it plans on removing the cap soon. For the time being, there will be no ads, but that's highly unlikely to last, some high profilers using the app include Kim Kardashian, Kevin Hart and Selena Gomez. The videos will be vertical only, which is a little bit of a gamble. Yes, we're used to stories being vertical, but these are little snippets of nonsense at the end of the day. If I want to settle into a 60-minute viewing spectacular, I find it hard to believe that I'll be okay with watching it all in portrait mode. Time will tell as Instagram tries to compete with the likes of YouTube and collect the huge ad revenues that fly around the video space. Lime, the dockless electric scooter startup that has been part of a clutch of similar companies to drive e-scooter pandemonium in the US, is bringing its zippy two-wheelers to Europe. Just to clarify, these e-scooters aren't the motorbike kind, they're like big children's scooters, the kind you shot down the hill on at 10 years old. On Friday, Lime deployed hundreds of e-scooters in Paris, which can be rented for a few euros a ride and can reach 15 miles per hour. Its arch-nemesis, Bird, are yet to launch on this side of the Atlantic. Parisian officials want to see these e-scooters in action before they decide what regulation will be necessary. If everything goes well in the French capital, then Lime has plans to expand into 25 markets across Europe before the end of the year. If you're a Londoner, then don't get too excited. Our laws make it illegal to ride an e-scooter on roads, and so Lime won't be launching that product here anytime soon. Intel's CEO Brian Krasanich resigned in a surprise announcement on Thursday. His CFO Bob Swan will step into the top role for a short period whilst Intel find a new CEO. Brian resigned after an internal investigation that found him guilty of breaking Intel's no fraternization rule, a rule that bans managers at any level from having sexual or romantic relations with other employees. Whilst Brian's affair broke company rules, it was a consensual one that started a decade ago and ended before he became CEO in 2013. There are a few people who are saying that Intel have gone a little bit far here. This is a bit extreme. After all, something like 20% of people marry people they meet at work. Um, but you know what? He broke the rule. He screwed up. And anyway, he was married at the time. So we can't feel too bad for him. 
what is something that okay. many people fear <laughs> but that doesn't scare you at all? Okay, you're not going to believe this, but it is true. Yes. Um, butterflies. Loads of people are scared of butterflies. People are scared of butterflies? Yeah. Or, okay, or snakes. I'm not scared of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're like, not scared of butterflies. Look at me, I'm such a hard, hard girl. Shh, smashing it. And then you're like, well, actually, yeah, I mean, I'm not scared of snakes. That's way more, like, intense. Snakes are scary. They can kill you and stuff. I mean, probably like an obviously an anaconda. Yeah. I would be scared of. You wouldn't I wouldn't want to that. see one of those. No. no. But I quite like the small ones. Would you have one as a pet? Um, I'm not sure if I'd have one as a pet because you have to feed them like mice and stuff, which is gross. gross. But I definitely, I've, I've held them before. I wouldn't mind holding one or like having one around me, but but not my own. The Trump administration's policy of separating families at the border is disgusting, and a number of big tech CEOs have come out with similar sentiments this week. YouTube chief exec Susan Wojcicki tweeted, Regardless of your politics, it's heartbreaking to see what's happening to families at the border. Tim Cook, helmsman of Apple, said that the policy is, quote, inhumane and needs to stop. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi tweeted, As a father, a citizen, and an immigrant myself, the stories coming from our border break my heart. Families are the backbone of society. A policy that pulls them apart rather than building them up is immoral and just plain wrong. And there are many more big players in tech standing up to Trump with similar words. Japan wants to have 20 unicorns by 2023. No, not horses with horns but startups with a notional value of more than $1 billion. As of Tuesday, that number is now zero, as the country's only unicorn, Makari, a flea market app, went public on the stock exchange in Tokyo. The shares soared 76% on its first day of trading, raising $1.2 billion for the company. Makari is the biggest community-powered shopping app from Japan, for anyone to buy and sell anything from anywhere in seconds. So why have Japan no longer got them under the unicorn status? Well, because a unicorn is technically a company, or a startup rather, that is held privately. So Makari no longer fits the bill. Japan will need to get their magic wand out if they want to find 20 more in time for 2023. done it's over you can open your eyes now take it all in hopefully the tech world around you makes a bit more sense you're all caught up if you enjoyed the show then please share the zip files with a friend if you hated it then please share it with an enemy also sorry to be hashtag that guy but if you're feeling bright and breezy happy and friendly then rating the zip files five stars on apple podcasts would help me out massively I love you all. Until next Sunday, enjoy your oat milk lattes and have a great week. Bye.